Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Alrighty, welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding. Mr. Jeff Gannon, Focus Compounding. How's it going over there today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. I feel like we haven't recorded in a while. Doesn't it feel like that? It does feel that way. It's kind of weird, but we hope everyone is having a great day. Hey, if you have not seen my YouTube videos yet, go to YouTube, type in Focus Compounding, and you'll see me. And be sure to hit that subscribe button. Um, That will notify you whenever I upload videos. We're doing three a week. We are going through a content evolution here, and we're constantly trying to improve, right? We're constantly trying to get better. Mm -hmm. So we just got a new camera, which it's much more high depth, so it makes me look a lot uglier. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So we're doing a bunch of different things, pumping out three videos a week uh, for YouTube. Um, So definitely subscribe there and follow our Twitter at Focus Compound. Of course, that is uh, the best place to get anything Focus Compounding related right Mm -hmm. to, you know, your phone and, and tweeting stuff out. So um, in today's video, we are going to be going over Monarch Cement, which is a stock that Jeff had written up for the premium site. And he also put the free part on the Focus Compounding Gazette. Uh, It's focuscompoundinggazette.com. And the title is Monarch Cement, a cement company with 97 straight years of dividends trading at 1.2 times book value. So maybe let's start off first how you even came across Monarch Cement. Uh, I probably knew about Monarch Cement for like 10 years or so. Uh, it's it, this is a um, stock that is deregistered with the SEC, okay. so it was once public and it hasn't been for a long time. Um, and so it's a dark stock. Uh, it, it's dark in the sense that it doesn't file with the SEC, but it's not dark in the sense that it doesn't put out uh, annual reports and things like that. That's it does put those things out for. Uh, shareholders. In fact, I uh, asked for information from the uh, historical financials from the CEO and was sent them and stuff. So they're perfectly open with people who aren't yet shareholders to give them information and stuff. So they behave like a public company that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Truly dark stocks will, if you're not a shareholder, so you don't legally have to be given the information, will try not to give you any information. And Mm -hmm. Monarch's not like that. They have a website with, um, uh, they put on annual reports, pictures of the plant, everything. So it behaves like a normal um, public company that Uh way. Right, but it doesn't file with the SEC. So you you've known about it just because you followed the company for a while, or right? I haven't really fo- uh, followed the company closely, but it's just one of those stocks that people are aware of. Um, in terms of like we had on uh, Nate from Oddball Stocks on someone like that. I I'm sure that he's written up for his newsletter. I think he's probably written up for his blog. I don't remember exactly, but that's probably the kind of place I would have read about it years yeah. ago. Um, and I had some awareness that way. Um, and it's just because it often trades around near book value, things like that. Um, it's a pretty illiquid stock, but it's the kind of thing that people would look at. There had been some other independent uh, cement companies yeah. before, and so people looked at it because of that. I just say value investors and people who focus on really overlooked stuff, it's just something they're aware of. Mm-hmm. It's not like um, super obscure that way. And yeah. so the size of the company, like on a market cap basis, is what? 
Uh, it is a micro cap, but a very large micro cap. Okay. So you're talking probably less than 300 million, but not a lot less. Okay, so less than 300 million market yeah. cap. Uh, it does not file with the SEC. Correct. And it's illiquid. Yes, so and it has yeah. It also has two classes of stock. Just mm -hmm. so people know, when you look it up, you're probably going to see because it doesn't file with the SEC, and because it has two classes of stock, yeah. you're often going to see the market cap be incorrect. So yeah, so it is a very overlooked stock. Yeah. Um, if you do subscribe to the Gazette and get our weekly watch list, it's been on the watch list. Mm -hmm. um, we did write about it. We do not own it for our clients and our Correct. firm. Uh, I think we should say that. But what drew you to um, this business? I mean, a lot of people. I mean, like your perception of cement. Do you like cement I, companies? Yes, I like yeah. cement companies. So that's why I looked at it. And why is that? Um, well, so cement is... So I've invested before in some commodities. Yeah. So generally, I haven't invested in commodities that are very widely traded. Now, some cement is shipped around the world and stuff. But this company, as we'll talk about, is in Kansas. So that doesn't matter. That's in the middle of the United States. It really doesn't matter. So cement, like a lot of the sorts of things I've invested in before commodities has a um, low value to weight ratio, meaning that you wouldn't ship it very far. Um, so that's one big advantage to it. And then also, uh, so lime is similar. We talked about lime. Lime is an input for cement. But a little different from lime is that uh, cement, and, and I owned a, uh, personally years ago, I owned a stock which was just, just quarried rock, but it's a similar sort of thing. So um, uh the difference between lime and cement, though, is that cement is a little more um, of a manufacturing process. So you also have economies of scale in terms of the size of the plant. It just makes sense. You can produce a ton of cement at a lower price if you have a very big plant. So that also means that you tend over time to have bigger and bigger plants, uh, fewer locations, and then they more have a larger market share in their given area. So you sort of have um, – it's not ever a monopoly. But it's a situation in which you have only a few competitors nearby, and in which the um, it's usually easy for the competitors to know uh, sort of who would be the most logical one to have the best bid because the transport costs are significant. So if you both have similarly efficient cement plants and you're 100 miles from the customer and your competitor is 150 miles, then they should know themselves from the information they have about their plant. It should be easy for them to tell what kind of um, – uh, who who should serve the customer? Who could have the lower price? Because all the customers care about is who has the lowest price. Sure. Right. Yeah. So as long as the uh, plants are comparable in terms of their costs overall, then the transport cost will make the difference. So whoever's closer would be the more logical one to be selling the cement. Do you think it's kind of like a situation like Parks America, how a mm -hmm. new park operator probably wouldn't open up a, uh, a park within 100 miles because that would only just hurt both companies? Right. It's exactly the case. So cement is extremely, uh, that's extremely true. So as I talked about in the write-up, I guess that the returns in the cement plant, so the company overall, I guess the returns might be lower, but the cement plant returns without using leverage might be over 12% a year. But if there were two cement plants operating right next to each other, returns would be very poor mm -hmm. uh, because utilization would be low. So you might get a 12% return on equity if you had 80% utilization of the plant or 90%, right? That's probably the normal level of utilization mm -hmm. sort of over a full cycle. Um, but if you were utilizing – so you, say you built a totally new plant without having any additional um, – demand, right? So imagine that that happened. That would never happen, but imagine it did. Right next to they built a plant that also does 1.3, yeah. has capacity for 1.3 million tons a year. Then obviously your utilization would drop from 80% to 40%. Well, at 40%, the cement plant is losing money. And so both of you would be losing money. 
So usually you don't want a competitor to come in. A competitor wouldn't want to come in if they're going to be losing money, right? Sure. So the huge fixed costs of that mean that that's why you wouldn't come in. And then the fact that the commodity isn't differentiated means that there's not a way for a competitor to come in and say, well, we're going to offer you better cement or something like sure. that. You yeah. know, it's going to be price and distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your title, you said 97 straight years of dividends. Correct. So uh, do they have like all their annual reports up on their website going back that No, long? not that far. Got it. How so, did you get that information then? Uh, they talk about that, Got about it. the fact that, so there is information talking about how it's been uh, 97 years. It just, it seems like a company we'd look at. I mean, a company that has long, I mean, long-term like profitability to the point where they could pay a dividend. Right. We we own a couple of companies that have paid dividends for 50 years or or so. Yeah. Yeah. And including some things that are um, not well known. Right, mm-hmm. which is different from uh, most companies. Like you know, this is to have an unlisted stock that pays dividends for that long. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I only have financial data going back to the 1970. How liquid is it? Uh, the the stock is liquid. The the stock is or illiquid, I should say. The stock is very illiquid for its size. Got it. But because it's actually a quite large microcap, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's possible for individual investors to get this stock. Uh, however, there are days where you might there might be no shares traded or something, and the bid ask spread might be wide. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the n- amount of share turnover, it's low. So the shares turn, which is our big um, the big measure that we use to decide how overlooked a stock is. Yeah. So if we see a stock trading twenty million dollars worth of uh, shares a year, but it's over two hundred million dollars in value, we think a market cap. We think of that as being overlooked. But of course, it still trades, say, $20 million a year. That's enough for individual investors to own the stock because it's pretty big. That's not, it's not actually a very small company. It's awfully close in size to like NACA or something in terms of market cap, right? But it's, it, it turns out it shares over less. And that's be, probably because I think insiders, I shouldn't say insiders, families that were involved in the company years ago probably own half of the stock. So that part probably doesn't trade at all. They mm-hmm. just collect the dividends. Yeah. And if anyone kind of wants to go through a demo of that, I did a video, um, the four things we look for mm-hmm. when investing, first things that we do when, when looking at a company. And I went through that process of kind of determining if it's overlooked. Right. And the two things that, that I use to test that are share turnover um, divided by the market cap, so the amount of uh, volume, like you were saying, yeah. and the other one's beta. And so it tends to be that if you have a very low beta too, and the stock tends to have a low beta. Uh-huh. Um, so both of those things tip you off that probably a lot of people who, basically traders don't own the stock. Sure. That's what it's telling yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. more yeah. long-term oriented yeah. people. People mm-hmm. that have been in the company for a long time. Right, yeah. So why do you like the business then? I mean, let's talk about the um, the durability, the mode. I mean, so durability is perfect. Uh-huh. So that that's the basic thing is the durability is perfect. I talked a little bit in the article about how um, cement has been used. So cement is an input for concrete. Yep. So concrete is what you see all around that builds highways and things, which is basically cement being the key technological thing mixed in with basically things like rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then that's what's actually used at a site um, to build things. And I gave an example going back to the first big scale buildings of stuff with um, concrete was uh, um, the Romans, right? So it's been used heavily since then, and I gave some examples and stuff about how by weight and stuff, how much bigger it is than other forms of um, building material, how much more common it is. So it's just, of all the things you could think of, it, it's at least as durable or more durable than things like wood. We owned a Timberland company being um, uh, used for building stuff, but also plastic, steel, any of those things. It's certainly as durable or more durable, probably more durable than any of those things. Uh, so, you know, so perfect durability, basically. Mm-hmm. If you know the company is going to be around and if you know the demand for um, the product is going to be around 100 years, then it's just a question of what's the competitive position of the company versus others, you know, in the area. Mm-hmm. Whereas generally, are we 100% sure there's going to be, you know, demand for 
a search engine in 100 years? Maybe. Will it be exactly the same? I mean, I think those are pretty high for things like media and stuff. But sure. for most products, they're not that high. You know, so for most products that aren't like basic commodities or sort of things like media and, and stuff like that, it's much harder to know that it's going to, you know, still be a demand for it. Mm -hmm. Now, what are your thoughts on management? Is it like a family-run company then where they've owned it for a very long uh, time? The person who runs it, he is a descendant of a family that has been involved for a long time. And many people on the board are um, descendants of families who have been involved for a yeah, long time. Yeah, I mean, time. if you read the annual report, it's a very good annual report. Like, yeah. break, they break down a lot. I mean, again, it's it's kind of funny, the perception of companies that may not file with the mm -hmm. SEC, a lot of people think they're more sketchy. Yeah. Um, and many are, but, but not like this oh, one. Totally, no, yeah, not. totally. But like this Monarch's annual annual report, I thought was pretty well laid on and a lot better than like Apple's or other companies where you kind of yeah. have to, you just it, can't get all the information. It's very good. They give you all sorts of information about it. Um, they're very transparent that way. Yeah. I think they're pretty transparent about what their capital allocation plans are, how they run the thing, all those sorts of what decisions. What is um, their capital allocation plans? So I think they intend to pay a dividend and try to not decrease the dividend whenever possible and never to eliminate the dividend. I mean, they haven't for 97 yeah, years. Sure. They have cut the dividend for a year um, at times of extreme uh, cyclical stress, you know? So th they may have cut it. I didn't, uh, before we started recording, I didn't check the exact dates, but like, so an example would be like in 2008 or something, but they may have also done it in the 70s. I don't remember all the details about that, but I do remember that every time they did it, they immediately started raising it back up again. Yeah. And there's never a point that I remember where 10 years later, something the dividend was lower. So uh, basically the dividends always provided constant income for people who've owned it that way. Uh, the other thing is that they will buy back stock below book value, but not above book value. So they've been very strategic about it. Yeah, they, I, I think they're focused on the idea of book value. Yeah. Very much so, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What is um, like the long-term returns, do you know off the top of your head? Good, but not necessarily great. So I did some things to calculate it based on what the return should have been for a private owner or something over 50 years. So yeah. if the stock started at the same price, because I have data going back to 1970. So if the stocks multiplied and changed from then to now, what it would be, mm -hmm. and the returns are good. Um, and then we actually, I had actual stock data for like 30 years or something. Um, and uh, generally you'd do a little bit, you know, counting the dividend stuff, you do better than the stock market, but you would have to be a little careful about not overpaying. Got it. Because, see, the returns on equity in the business, so let's say that they pay a third out in dividends and then retain two-thirds, mm -hmm. hypothetically. Uh, and that's not far from the truth. So if they did that, then two-thirds of your returns would be coming from the part that they're putting back into the business. The issue with this company is um, I think their overall business probably has returns of 8 to 12% without leverage. So when you say the overall business, how are you doing, how are you coming? I'm what counting things other that? than the cement plant. Got it, got it. So the cement plant I think has, I think at the very low end it gets 12% returns on equity given today's tax rate and stuff. And we won't get into it, but you get, uh, you pay lower taxes if you're, because of certain things like depletion and also the speed of how quickly you're depreciating things and stuff like that. Depletion and depletion both because you're using a natural resource lime and also because of how quickly you're depreciating your plant is going to cause you to tend to have lower taxes. So I'm adjusting for that fact. So mm -hmm. taking the tax stuff into account, I would say they could earn 12% or higher on that plant. But um, Do they own many plants? One plant. Got it. Yeah, one plant. Uh, but I think that they own other things that would lower their returns. Mm -hmm. So they have a stock portfolio. I was just going to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, they have a stock portfolio. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on that? Okay. 
And they own a bunch of other cement companies, right? Yes. Yeah, which I, I don't thought, expect I it was do, kind of interesting. I mean, I expect that their returns will be 8 to 12% for the business as a whole. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if their portfolio returns 8 to 12%. Sure. There's some logical reasons why I don't think that's the best capital allocation. Because I think if you asked the companies that are in the portfolio, probably, would you pay more for this cement plant to acquire it, yeah. Monarch's own plant, than you would to buy back your own stock, they would probably rather buy Monarch than buy back their own stock. Sure. And yet Monarch is buying stock in them yeah. rather than, say, buying back its own stock. Yeah. I think most people would think, I think if you ask people in the cement industry, they would say that Monarch is cheaper than those companies are. However, I think they bought good cement companies from what I know of what they own. And they own some other things that aren't cement companies, but are all sort of in related categories, yeah. construction type stuff. Yeah. Got it. So the four point checklist, and you kind of outline, outline this in your write up, is the first one was, is the stock overlooked? Which we didn't yes. go over. Mm. Uh, the second one is, is the business high quality? And you think it's a very I think it's durable good, but not great. I yeah. think it's, it has a perfect durability, literally yeah. perfect. I can't think of a product which has better durability. But because. Uh, I mean, there's going to be a need for, for concrete for uh, yes. for a very long time. And also because they're in the middle of the country. And we didn't get into all that, but um, there's no way for places – you can you just – you can't economically ever get um, those uh, things from – say, you can't – you're not going to ever send cement. There's no way that you would ever send cement from the coasts in. Uh -huh. So no matter what happens in China or anywhere else, you would never send it that far inland. And so the only way that you'd have competition and stuff, and that is if you actually build plants right there to serve that area. So what the states we're talking about are serving like you know Iowa and Arkansas and Oklahoma and Kansas. Um, you you wouldn't be able to serve it from places in California, Florida, and New York. I'm not saying. Uh, that I would have as much faith in companies that have their plants located there. I actually have much less uh, faith in a company that has uh, in the durability of a business that's in like Los Angeles or something because there are ports that can take uh, shipments from around the world there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you can't have an oversupplied position at one point in Asia or something, but I'm really confident that you won't have an oversupply of cement uh, long term, cyclically, you'll have oversupply moments, but you're not in the middle of America going to have oversupply uh, permanently. It's yeah. not going to happen. So you think it's a good business? Though. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. And then the last or the last two is has the stock ticker worked over time? And yeah, we talked about has. not only has the stock price worked, but the actual business has yeah. done very well. And I should also point out the way that they achieved it is much safer than other stocks. How so? Well, they're overcapitalized. Yeah. So, so normally, anyone would normally put debt on a cement plant. Um, they're pretty predictable. So, I mean, there's a huge drop in in unit volume at a cement plant, but the actual price of cement doesn't drop by that much. It's surprisingly um, resilient to actual declines in price per ton. So um, your utilization basically drops. And there would be years where if they had put on a lot of debt, like sort of like what a private equity firm or something would put on it, they would have lost money in like the bottom of a recession, but they wouldn't cause them to lose money over a full cycle or something. And we just talked about how they actually hold uh, stock portfolio, sure, yeah. which is, you know, excess capital. Mm -hmm. um, their dividend is good and has been around for a really long time, but they don't raise it too aggressively to cause a, a threat to the company's solvency or something. So they run it more conservatively than I would say um, most companies would. Even with things like the pension stuff and things like that, I think is probably a bit better funded and things than maybe um, some other people would do running it. And also, we didn't talk about it, but properties. They own some acres around places. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, the the I don't think it's useful for anything else, but the property they're on is uh, 5,000 acres. Well, so, yeah. Do you think... Um, oh, they have reserves for 50-some years of lime on site 
it's, oh, wow. they're not using someone else's lime. Yeah. Um, and they also like in, where they've had things for a uh, terminal or something um, where they take things and, and then um, ship it from there to the customer. Uh, they also own some land around there and stuff. So like there's, there's just a general sense that it's probably a little overcapitalized. Do you think you would um, rather them just invest that capital, the excess capital back into their own business? Are you okay with them owning a bunch yeah. of other cement so, stocks? So first of all, I don't think that they ever skimp on expanding the plant or keeping it in good shape or anything so like that. So it truly is like I excess think, capital. Yeah. So I think that what we're seeing is excess capital. I don't yeah. think that they in any way run the plant not to, if they see a way to make more money by putting in more capacity or something, I think they do it. Yeah. I think only do they ever think about buying back stock, paying dividends. Um, I mean, raising dividends, they were going to pay the dividend. But um or like uh, you know, uh, buying a portfolio of stocks like they have, or anything like that. Um, I don't think they only think about that once they've already done all that. So I think they always do everything needed for so that. So like plan. truly the free cash, I guess. You yeah. Say. So it's truly free cash that you have. Yeah. What I rather isn't in a stock portfolio. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. You have who's to see- picking it. He is Got the, it. the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and you you think that he's doing that based on book value measures? I think he probably just buys the ones that he has uh, the most respect for in the industry mm-hmm. that he likes the, the best that way, and I think he's right about that. By the way, mm-hmm. I don't the the selection of the stocks I have zero problem with, and I actually think they're all good industries and good businesses to be in long term. Uh, but I here's the thing: the monarch a monarch will not buy back its own stock when it's at one point one one point two times book, but I think it will buy the stock in another cement producer at two times book or more or something you know what i mean and that's hard over time even if you're right about them being such a great business sure to actually make money that's better than if you were buying back your own stock or something but they're not in the habit of buying back their own stock so interesting um i think they would buy back their own stock if it was below book value mm-hmm. but i i honestly believe they will never buy back their own stock above book value because they don't i think they think of their stock i think and this is probably true of family members who own it from the different families and stuff as being something that Book value and the stock price probably on average over time are close to each other, mm-hmm. and they're probably not wrong about that. And then you get this dividend from it. So it's just something that you own permanently and you get this dividend from. And if you want it out or something, you probably get book value. What is the the, uh, the dividend yield? I don't remember what the exact dividend yield is now. I think it was yielding about 4% yeah, on, on equity, yeah. and I said it was 1.2 times book. So in recent years, I know they paid about 4% of equity. That's an easy way to calculate it. Uh-huh. So if it's 1.2 times book, then there you go. It's it's a yield that's going to be above 3 but below 4 Yeah. Um, but I think probably in terms of what you should expect from that dividend, you should expect it to be a more – I actually did a chart, but I didn't put it in the article – um, by decade, often the the dividend is very close to the same percentage of book value. So if you've been getting like, if you do the calculation and see that you've been getting like a 4% dividend in terms of your book value, yeah. that's pretty much what you're going to get every year. So it's easy to think of it as a certain yield on book value. They don't change it a lot other than that. Um, it is lower now than it was years ago in terms of related to book value, which I think just meant they invest more in the plant. They increased the um, capacity of the plant, I would say... Uh, in the last fifty years, I think they've quadrupled their capacity. Wow! So yeah, I think uh, I think fifty what years ago. What is their capacity since they have one plant? So they do one point. They have the capacity for one point three million uh, tons a year, uh-huh. and I think they were at three hundred thousand or so oh, tons awesome. a year oh, wow. back in um, fifty years ago or so, something like that. I don't remember if I have the exact capacity. I know they were only producing three hundred thousand. Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe utilization was low in nineteen seventy. I don't remember. Um, but 
Yeah, and they've had months recently where they did over, I think in the last annual report, they talked about doing over 100,000 in a month, 100,000 tons in a month. Mm-hmm. So 100,000 tons in a month is 1.2 million. If they say their capacity is 1.3 million, then that's, you know, high. Um, so usually I don't think cement plants produce that much higher than 90% capacity for very long in a cycle. Um, so they're running pretty close. Uh, I mean, they could still, I guess, have a little bit more pickup that way. Yeah. Uh, the Probably, when you look at the stock, why it's gone up so much in the, la- in the recovery, in the economic recovery, is because of the fixed cost things I talked about. So, yeah. So when utilization increases at a cement plant, the earnings increase much, much faster than the sales. So if you're just increasing sales a little bit, um, you have many of the same fixed costs that don't change. So you have these really big increases in earnings. So when people were probably seeing that they might only increase their sales by 6% or whatever, but they were getting 20% EPS growth or whatever, then people probably got attracted to the stock and would buy it. Or they would buy in anticipation of that as a recovery because they see it as like a really cyclical stock and mm-hmm. things like that. That might be a reason why people wouldn't want to buy it now because say they were concerned about a recession or something, then you, know, um, you might want to avoid it. However, there hasn't been much of a boom in cement sure. in that area, and just in general in the United States. A lot of it is highway. Um, not a majority, but a lot is highway. So public spending, and then also spending on residential, also spending on commercial. It's very mixed compared to other forms of um, other product, building products and stuff, because so much of it is public spending, right? Because of things like highways. So you have much more of that than you usually do. So it's less exposed to housing than other building materials would be. Mm-hmm. You know? Cool. And then the last part on the list is the value. Is it cheap? So what are your thoughts on that? I think it's cheap at book value. Okay. Do I think it's cheaper, like, if you bought this today? So you think it, so if it was trading at one-time book value or at book value, then you would I'd seriously you'd be consider buying it. At Actually, I mean, right in sense of if someone wants to own this. Because this is a 70% interest post is what you did when you wrote up yeah. the stock. And if someone... Uh, and we've talked about it. And so I don't remember the exact book value. I think I said it was in the high 40s, but below 50 um and last i checked the stock was at like 60 or uh-huh. so yeah um so i, I said yeah pr- less than a tw- i think i said less than a 20 percent decline in the stock price would be enough to make it make sense to buy it um it probably makes sense to buy it now and hold it versus the s&p anyway uh but i would say anyone who wants to own uh, a cement business if this gets to book value buy it yeah yeah and mm-hmm. just hold it um i think it's a good industry uh there aren't a lot of opportunities to buy those sorts of things at low prices uh we didn't talk about it a lot but this is a company uh the business's enterprise value is less than the replacement cost of the plant um and i think it's significantly less than an acquisition would be done and we didn't talk about that because i believe there's no chance that this company will sell out yeah sure. there's no chance that they'll sell to an acquirer mm-hmm. but i'm sure that an acquirer would pay more than the market does Mm -hmm. so in the stock market for whatever reason maybe because it's overlooked maybe because they know it's not going to sell out whatever um people do not value the investors really don't value this company as highly as an acquirer would value it Mm -hmm. you know i don't think the idea of replacement cost really matters because like we said you know you wouldn't uh you generally don't have a lot of new entry in this business but it would have to be um so because the company is trading for a lot less than it would cost to build a plant and then obviously you'd add supply by building a plant anyone who'd want to enter the market or something would try to buy them sure that's how you do it um but it yeah so i just the market is valuing it less than a private owner would uh quite a bit less Mm -hmm. i would say um so 
you know, I think that's always an obvious sign yeah. if it's a pretty good business sure. and it's valued much less than a private owner would pay, then you'd probably want to own it. Uh, the only risks that I see are like capital allocation, especially with the lack of leverage and stuff that it's possible that you might not get a very, an especially good return in it, like especially a market beating return. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking, oh, well, I can do 15% a year or whatever, is the stock really going to do that if I own it for the long term? Maybe not. Um, but I think the chance that you get a bad result in this one is extremely low. Mm-hmm. So the actual range of outcomes might be small. So you think it's like more safe? It's more. Yeah, safe I said out. there that the it's like an eight to twelve percent likely return in terms of the uh, return equity of the business itself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if I think that it should never trade at less than one times book value, then I'm saying that if you buy the stock at one times book value, yeah. you should never get less than an eight to twelve percent return, no matter how long you own it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, sure. You know, mm-hmm. to be in something and not have to really pay a lot of attention to it and expect an eight to twelve percent return. Yeah, better than cash. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but like we said, it is illiquid and those sorts of things. The most important thing I would say is um, don't trust any financial information you get from any websites. Go to the company's own investor relations page and find that information. Yeah. For shares outstanding, for any of the information that they say about the business and mm-hmm. stuff like that. His shareholder letters are pretty good too. I mean, yeah. he goes he pretty in-depth, like Cheryl, I mean, like yeah. chairman letter. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was excellent. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. no problems with any of that. Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't want to give the wrong impression about saying it's a dark stock. Yeah. It doesn't file with the SEC, but it's communicative, yeah. Sure, totally. Cool. And if you want to get access to that write-up for free, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com, and then the mm-hmm. full premium write-up for that is on focuscompounding.com. Yes. Any other thoughts on the company? Nope, that's it. Cool. And uh, that was going over Monarch Cement. And one thing I forgot to announce in the beginning of the podcast is we are going to be in New York the week of September 16th. So if any prospective people would like to meet up, grab some coffee, buy Jeff and myself a piece of pizza, (laughs) uh, definitely reach out to me, info at focuscompounding.com. As I did say in the beginning, we are pumping out three videos a week on YouTube. So check us out there. How-to videos. Um, We're going to do mental models. Mm -hmm. Um, We're kind of, uh, you know, flirting with a few different ideas. We're thinking, Jeff and I, we always, we always have great conversations in the car. That's true. Driving to, <laughs> to and from the office. And I, was thought, I thought maybe it'd be fun to have a series driving with Jeff and Andrew. I don't know. But we'll I got to get them out because we're safety first. That'll be, that's true. <laughs> That'll be even more technical stuff to figure out. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm having tons of fun <laughs> figuring mm-hmm. out how to get the quality good. But uh, we want to thank everybody so much for tuning in and following along with Jeff and myself. Um, if you like the content we are doing here, definitely leave us a rating and review that helps spread the word. Hope everyone has a great day. Take care. I think the thing literally just shut off. Just now? Like right when I was about to say take care. So why did it shut off? I have no idea. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock right up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.